holding my chest, my legs and hands, silence, feeling the pressure. What? She was a fraud. It's a million bloody degrees out there. Oh, wind. I'm sorry if I said anything awful. Blessed lambs of God. Why hadn't he got up to chop the capsicums? I was never a good reader. Ah, Immaculately bland. Anyway, it looks like... What do we do with this now? You're not even supposed to use the word fat. Boys like girls. When we were very young... I was back home in Norwich. Square Sound. You're listening to the audiobook podcast for the makers and listeners of audiobooks. Welcome back to another episode of the audiobook podcast. I'm your host, Abby Holmes, and together with Justine Sloan-Lees... Hello. ...we'll be discussing a rather pertinent topic today, and that is experiencing performance anxiety as an actor, or as we've coined it in today's episode, booth fright, as opposed to stage fright. Um, This conversation actually grew out of our last conversation when we were in this room with Les Horowitz. Yeah. And as we finished recording and we're just chatting in the studio afterwards, he said, oh, you know, I was feeling quite anxious before I came in. And I said, Les, that's so common. I feel that people have a perception of actors as being overconfident, extroverts, and the reality is that's the exception rather than the rule. That's so true. Oh, and I do tell that story with Les's permission. I did check in. He said it was okay to relay that story. Great. So we'd like to spend a bit more time now just breaking down exactly what performance anxiety is and how it's experienced. Then I'll speak on how, as a voiceover coach, I might guide someone through this. And we'll also look at the director's perspective with Justine, discussing how one might direct someone when they're experiencing booth fright. There's been a lot of research on performance anxiety, as anxiety in general affects nearly every one of us. However, performance anxiety specifically experienced by actors, whether they be screen, stage or voice actors, is still a relatively under-researched area. That said, things are definitely picking up given the rise in awareness about mental health, and speaking about these issues aren't as taboo as they used to be. All right, so first up, the Centre for Vocal Health described performance anxiety, or stage fright, as an occurrence where a rush of adrenaline in anticipation of a stressful event, in this case performance, results in symptoms. These symptoms make performance harder but are grounded in human physiology as part of the fight-or-flight response that helps us avoid danger. So symptoms can include dry mouth, sweating or dizziness, gastrointestinal activation, vomiting or diarrhoea, elevated heart rate, shortness of breath, and the kicker for voice actors in particular, laryngeal tension, which is when muscular tension and ligament tightening occur around the larynx. This often produces vocal fatigue, inefficiency, and loss of range. Mm. For a voice actor, this might look like shortness of breath, voice might break or close up, stumbling over the words, even easy words. I mean, we expect people to stumble over the hard words, but when you're stumbling over the word that... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, making mistakes, yeah, and then making the same mistake again, that happens. Or rushing, which is very common. I think people think the sooner I get it done, the better, and I'll be out of here. Yeah, so they exactly. Pick up Whoops, wrong. <laughs> rolling snowball. Or, yeah, running out of breath, that's very common. So when you're in the booth, things that might be causing you stress, you know, you're worried about what the person on the other side of the glass is thinking, the director or engineer, that they're relying on you, you've got a lot of characters you need to remember, the voices, there's those tough pronunciations you need to remember, you're worrying about how many pages you need to get done, if you've eaten enough. Sometimes people avoid food because of anxiety and Mm, I'm mm. always astonished at how often I have to feed people. 
There's one major study that was done by Dr. Linda Brennan, who's an academic from the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. She's published a book on this topic called Stage Fright in the Actor, so it's one of the really main texts looking at this. Yeah. Yeah. So the study revealed just how pervasive stage fright is, whether it be theatre actors, screen actors, pretty much everyone she interviewed stated they'd experienced this sense of dread. And uh, when I was doing just basic Googling in preparation for this episode, the list of names of people who professed to stage fright, it'd be shorter to write a list of people who didn't, you know. Oh, absolutely. Major names, yep. Yep. all kinds of names. Yep. It's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. So some of the ways that manifests is the physical, as we've touched on, symptoms ranging from swollen tongues, fainting, uncontrollable crying, cold sweats, breathing difficulties and palpitations. And then there's that fear of failure and shame, humiliation. In the book, she cites one interviewee describing what they experience as a raging negative voice in my head that interrogates me and inflames the fear. Mm. I know people often feel like that inner voice that's just critiquing constantly. I'll talk about that inner voice a little bit soon. Yeah. So in her book, Dr. Brennan also notes that actors in particular have a show-must-go-on attitude and that this has stopped many speaking up about it in the past and addressing it. You know, that people have a perception that it would ruin their reputation and make it harder to book jobs. Mm. It might make them seem weak or insecure. Mm. All of those things, absolutely. So I think when we were talking with Les, you told him that you've experienced anxiety as well. Oh, absolutely, and I still do. You know, there's been very few times in my career where I haven't had the anxiety. Mostly it's if I'm working on a set and I'm very familiar with it, for a long time, which I did about 20 years ago, and it was a wonderful experience. Stage is a very different thing. It is that thing about if you're going onto a set, if you stuff it up, they can reshoot it. If you're on a stage, you can't stuff up. So the stakes are a lot higher. But, you know, for me, always before I went on stage, it was terrifying. I always wanted to go to big toilet. That was my thing. I was sure I wasn't going to make it to the stage because of that. And the thing about not telling anybody was so true. I didn't tell anybody I felt this anxiety. But what I noticed was I would go on and you would go into this room, you would go into this void, and the anxiety would be gone. It would just disappear. Thank goodness it did disappear because it was it was quite overwhelming. I heard an interview just recently with Deborah Oswald, who's a well-known writer. Mm-hmm. You know, she's written for screen, for yeah. stage, for radio and books. We recorded her most recent book here just a couple of years ago. And she's doing a one-woman show at the moment, sort of stories from her life. And she was talking about, particularly as someone who's not normally a performer, the anxiety she experienced going onto the stage. But once she got on the stage and felt that connection with the audience, what she described it as was rocket fuel. You know what happens, what kicks in? Adrenaline. I have known, (laughs) always felt this about myself, that I was a bit of an adrenaline junkie. I liked the anxiety, especially when it turned into adrenaline. And so when you're out there with the adrenaline and the audience and your performance, that's where you are. You're only in that. You can only be in that. And voiceover, I've felt anxious too. I'll get to a job and I'll think, oh, this script is really challenging because you don't always get the script before. In fact, most of the time you don't. Oh, I wonder if I'm cast right for this. I don't know. It feels more like a man should be doing this than me. So I'll have that voice in the head that's talking me out of it and starting to wind me up to a bit of an anxious state. And I can feel my voice starting to change and I'll think, oh, Ab, settle down, settle down, settle down. This still happens after a really, really long career. So understanding the techniques that you need to work through when you go into a studio is very different to techniques that you work through if you're going onto a set or you're going onto a stage. It's quite different. 
So with your coaching experience, do you find that the people you coach also experience anxiety? Oh, absolutely. As a general rule? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> um, you know, when I run my beginner's course, people will mention in an email they're feeling really nervous about it or they're feeling anxious about it or whatever, or they're worried about this or that. And that's completely normal. Anybody going into any situation that's unfamiliar, where they don't actually know what's going to happen, and they're taking a personal risk, there'll be anxiety that's part of that. And one of the things I ask them to do is leave your critic in the car because your critic doesn't belong in there unravelling you and undermining you. You can't have anybody in there saying, you see, you're not very good at this. You think you're really good at this, but it's not working. They've done the wrong thing casting you. They should be casting somebody else. All these voices can be in your head. It can be a really, really difficult thing to get through, but you just have to find a way to work through it. It's part of living in the arts, you know. Mm -hmm. So in your coaching practice, do they open up? Are they happy to share? Yes, they are. And, and is that changing? Are people acknowledging yeah, it more yeah. and more as time goes by? Yes, yeah. There's a relief about, oh, okay, so you mean everyone in the room <laughs> is feeling like I'm feeling, oh, gosh, we're all in here together. You know, in the past, I've taught the VCA third year acting yeah. students just microphone technique mm. and familiarisation. And I've always gone to their end of year productions. And I remember one year, the director, who was the head of school, decided on a play that had a large cast, so there were more roles than the number of students. And she decided to cast some older, well-respected actors who were mates of hers, who were happy to come and be part of the student production for a few nights. And it was great to see, you know, not just students, but older actors interacting together. Yeah. And after the play, I was talking to one of the young students who was an exceptional actor. And I said, oh, you know, what was it like working on stage with the older actors? And he said, oh, my God, it was amazing to see that that actor, he named a particular actor who's very well regarded. I won't name him, of course. It would yeah. be indiscreet. And the student said, it was amazing to see that he gets really nervous before yeah, a show and exactly. it made me feel better about my Absolutely. anxiety. Yeah, that's right. Once you share it, once you tell people that you don't have to do this alone, and it is about finding a way to get through it because if you want to do this, you have to know that anxiety is part of it. You know, I mean, if you work in the arts, anxiety is endemic. It's just, it's part of working in the arts. However, I love turning anxiety into adrenaline, and I am an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> <laughs> so are there specific techniques that you share with the people you coach about how to deal with it? I talk about what happens when you allow your anxiety to run things. And so it's things that you've noticed, like reading too fast, just wanting to get it out of the way, not noticing detail, not noticing specifics. Or the fear of being observed, which is a really big thing. That's primal. Yeah. That's caveman, you know. Yeah. Eyes watching you out yeah. in the mouth of your cave at night, the most terrifying thing in the yeah. world. Yeah, Something's going to come and eat you. Oh, that it's is very the most primal. basic so primal. thing. Yeah. So it's really about welcoming the audience, that they're not there to judge you, they're with you. And the reason why you are there is because you can do this and someone believes in you. And then possibly everybody in the room believes in you, believes that you can do it. So I give them those kind of levels of confidence, like you can let go of your fear because you're the one who's been given this to do because you have all of these abilities. And I guess the thing, as opposed to stage, mm -hmm. um, for an audiobook narrator, you, you don't have that 
connection audience. with an audience. So we always say read to one person, you know, tell yeah. the story to one person. And if that means visualising that person, mm. I don't know, maybe that's Do that. helpful. Yeah. I agree, Justine. When I talk to people about working in audiobook narration, I said, what you must do, and you will never think that you have to do it as much as this, you have to prepare the book so that you almost know it back. You're not learning it by heart, but you need to understand it in a really deep sense so that when you go there, you're confident already that you know the book. You're not going, oh, fingers crossed, I get this right. You know that you've got it right, and that's going to help you. Because a lot of people, I believe, go in there unprepared. They've just given it a bit of a, yeah. you know, yeah. a read. And the other thing about audiobook narration, unlike, say, on a set for film or TV, is you don't get to do multiple takes. The audiobook industry is pretty much just do it, just start and do it. People who want to go back and finesse and finesse and finesse mm, will whoops. not do well as audiobook narrators yeah. because they can't let go of that little inner critic and they need to be able to say, look, if I was to do that again, I'd probably do it a bit differently. But how I did it was fine. It's Absolutely. good enough. You know, it Absolutely. doesn't have to be perfect. perfect. Does it work for the audience? Will the meaning be there? Mm. I'm very conscious as a director, particularly after reading an article a few years ago about audiobook narrators in the UK, where someone said, oh, my God, you just listen to yourself all day and it's so exhausting and the only time you ever hear another voice is when a voice comes in over the talkback to tell you you've done something wrong. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I've always called the talkback button the button of power. Yeah. So I'm really conscious of trying to minimise the use of it and only when completely necessary. Yeah. And our former colleague Ryan told us once that he actually often didn't say why he was stopping someone. He'd say, can we just go back to here, please? So they didn't have that anxiety of having it pointed out to them yeah. at great length. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if someone's mispronounced something, I'll have to tell them what the correct pronunciation is. But, yeah, yeah I really try to minimise my interruption and try to keep it light. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'd like to ask you a few questions, Justine. So as a director, how do you direct someone who is displaying signs of anxiety? What's your approach? Uh, look, it's always the first day, that first morning or afternoon where you just need to start. Yeah. <laughs> um, and generally speaking, I think people being warmed up is helpful whether it be stage, screen or voice. Anything. It's just yeah. often people have a process for warm-up mm -hmm. and I think that that process helps people detach from the detritus of day-to-day -day life mm -hmm. and into the performance mm -hmm. mode. But particularly, say, with a first-time narrator, one of the things that has made a massive difference is telling people that we can come back at the end and re-record the beginning. That just visibly yep. relaxes people straight away because yeah. just like, oh, phew, I don't have to be on it straight away right now, mm. you know. And as often as not, we don't need to go back and re-record the beginning because of that really taken up burden off their shoulders. Yeah. So that first day is always slower. And I tell people that, say, look, this first day will feel like it's going slowly and you're making lots of mistakes and just try to reassure people. Don't worry about it. Not to worry about no. it. <laughs> It's just part of the process. And that I'm there to make them sound good and that they can trust me. I remember once I had Edwina Wren in the booth who's done lots of audiobooks. Mm. We love Edwina. Just, just listen to a book that she read. Yeah. Fabulous. And Fabulous. I had a young sound engineer from the School of Audio Engineering who was coming in on a sort of work placement and he mm. was just sitting in to observe. And Edwina said to him, working in audiobooks, I know that I can be a trapeze artist 
and play with things and Justine will be my safety net. So if I do something stupid and fall off my trapeze, Justine will be there to make sure I'm okay. (laughs) And I really liked that analogy. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. So, look, also it's about reassuring people that we can take breaks whenever needed. Some people know I'm in the booth, I just want to go. Other people, after each chapter, they want to just have a bit of a chill moment Mm -hmm. or talk about something else completely different, get out of the book for five minutes Mm -hmm. and have a goss, basically, before they head back into it. So... Yeah. Okay, so we've touched on some things that might help people deal with performance anxiety, but here are a few other things. Justine? Well, one of the books I read in preparation for this was Bella Merlin's book, Facing the Fear, An Actor's Guide to Overcoming Stage Fright. And Mm -hmm. Bella Merlin is an actress. Uh, So she discusses how the stress hormones that are triggered by the anxiety do two unhelpful things. They undermine our immune system and no actor can afford to be ill. Too true. And they affect our memory and no actor can afford to lose their memory. So she really recommends talking about it. And you've already demonstrated that talking about some of your clients, that when you talk about it, it helps, you know. Just normalises it. Yeah, yeah. Another thing she talks about is mindfulness and meditation and breathing techniques. Very helpful. Which is helpful to all of us, really. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and she also talks about the importance of preparation. So going back to your point about people coming into the studio, say, for narration, unprepared, being prepared, you know, marking up your script, being across your material, being confident in that can help those little nagging bits of anxiety. Something else, bring things that will help you, support you. So your favourite tea Caroline Lee always comes in with her favourite throat coat tea because she knows that helps her. And so that's reassuring. Sometimes it's what you wear. I know on stage, sometimes you're wearing horrible, uncomfortable costumes. The great thing about audiobook narration is you can wear whatever you want. Mm, and be very comfortable. Be very comfortable. And in fact, I often encourage people to kick off their shoes. Yeah, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Hey, Abby, I'd also like to zoom out and look at the elephant in the room about anxiety, which is, and you kind of touched on it earlier, but being a performer, being an actor, it's inherently anxious because you're being assessed or judged or seen Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. You're putting yourself out there. And so you're self-recording, particularly now, everyone's self-recording, whereas before you might go and audition with someone. You're doing it at home, you're sending it off, and you might get no feedback, nothing at all, just Absolutely. I didn't get the job, and then you try and find out who got the job. You might get positive, constructive feedback. You didn't get the job. This is why, but we liked what you did with that, or this is something you could work on. So you've got something positive to take from it. You could get negative feedback, particularly, I think, in advertising. You know, someone told me once of something they got told about why they didn't get a role, and it was, like, hurtful. Wow. But also, you don't know when the next job's coming. So there's that financial (laughs) insecurity. And I think that as the time we speak, the SAG-AFTRA strike is ongoing in the US. And I think that that has highlighted that it's an insecure profession and it's not necessarily well remunerated. And going back to people who've never worked with actors, don't know much about them, just see their work, have this perception of them as overconfident extroverts, yeah. I think they also have a perception that they're rich and most That's right. <laughs> most aren't. Yeah. Most aren't. That's true. I mean, jobbing actors in Australia, for instance, really do have to have side hustles or other jobs, other careers, really. Mm. 
because it's just so insecure. I mean, sometimes it makes you wonder why you do it. In fact, I so loathed having to do self-tests at home that I stopped doing all kind of acting that required that because I couldn't do it without the connection with somebody else. I thought, I'm flying blind. I feel nervous. I feel anxious. I know it's showing. I'm not going to get this job. What's the point of doing it? So I just said, that's not going to be part of my life going on. Abby, would you be surprised if I told you that both Stanislavski and Lee Strasberg, creator of the Method School of Acting, so two of the great names in acting, both suffered terribly from stage fright? I didn't know that, but I shouldn't be surprised because everybody has suffered from stage fright. Yeah. You know, I can remember a moment being on stage about that thing about forgetting lines, and I just completely forgot where I was. Not only did I forget where I was, I forgot what I just did. And I was sitting on a stage and it felt like a really long time of me not saying anything before I got it back. But it was apparently unnoticeable from anybody else. It was just a pause. It was terrifying. And what I did about that was to just work more and more on knowing the lines. I think back in those days I wasn't very good, but... (laughs) I knew my I was knew my lines. In fact, somebody said to me once, "Oh, you're so amazing." This was amateur theatre in the 1970s. You're so amazing, Abby. Every night you're on, your performance is exactly the same. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think they call that representational style of acting. <laughs> anyway, anyway, going back to Les. Yeah. You know, I said at the start, our conversation with Les inspired this conversation yes. here now today. I can also tell you that. Les sent an email later that day saying, I left the studio just floating on a cloud. I felt so euphoric and buzzed. And that goes back to what you're saying about, you know, that adrenaline, that rush that you get. Hey, we've got a number of resources we're going to post as a link to, to Mm. just help them. There's some fabulous resources there. So you'll notice that we've actually added some links to articles that you might find really helpful. There's some marvellous writing and really useful articles there. I hope you found this really, really helpful because it was a pleasure to bring it to you. It is one of those things that doesn't get talked about. We all deal with it on our own and think nobody else is dealing with it. So you can stop thinking that now. (laughs) You're not alone. No. Thanks, Abby. It's been great to talk with you again. As always, Justine. It was fabulous. Until next time. See you on the next one. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye. You've been listening to the audiobook podcast brought to you by Square Sound. If there's something that we haven't covered in our audiobook series that you'd like to know about, send us a message at studio at squaresound.com.au. The audiobook podcast was produced by Marianne Plaza with Chetna Chavla, together with Abby Holmes and Justine Sloan-Lees. Sound mix, Michael Zakaria. Special thanks to all our guest speakers. Square Sound is an audiobook and podcast studio in Melbourne, Australia. Thanks for listening.